I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. It's been a while, it seems like. Uh, that's because we made a lot of episodes last time. That's right. It, it did. We had a little bit of a summer vacation. But now we will look at the legal system of the Assyrian Empire. Cool. I'm sure it's very labyrinthine. <laughs> Imagine this 1,000 plus years old empire that is so conservative and they, of course, have a legal system that works and is just and will help people get along. So this is maybe this is the perfect legal system. Maybe we should ad- adapt our own systems to this one. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm waiting to hear some of the pun- some of the punishments and the. Okay, I got a, a long and a short explanation of the legal system, and you'll get the short explanation first. Okay. The king decides everything. (laughs) That's what I figured, yeah. But, of course, the king is busy with his harem and all the wars and all the people that want religious stuff. And so the king has to delegate. And, of course, there has to be a system that people can use and feel safe about. So there is a system in place. For when the king doesn't want to meddle. But he could theoretically go into every dispute and make a judgment. And that judgment would be final. Put his thumb on the scale, so to speak. And my source for this is once again Cambridge Ancient History. Shout out to Cambridge for looking into ancient stuff for a long time. Yeah, and they're very smart at it, that's for sure. Okay. 
So to have a legal system, you have to have legal documents. Mm-hmm. And this is very document-based. And with these documents would be mostly clay? Yes, uh, there were probably a lot of uh, papyrus documents and stuff, mm-hmm. but they're all gone. Right, unfortunately. So we get kind of a snapshot of the legal system. There might be huge parts we are missing, but uh, and I hope there are, because what you're going to hear now is um, somewhat remarkable. Okay. Uh, there were the Middle Assyrian laws. I did an early episode about them from the Middle Assyrian Empire. Okay. And you can kind of assume that they are still around and still have some impact. Right, especially how conservative they are. But uh, if you actually look at the documents, they seem to have very little to do with the Middle Assyrian laws. Hmm. And of course, tradition plays in a lot. Precedent is everything. So if something is settled in one way and it's documented, it will be hopefully settled in the same way later. Mm-hmm, yeah. We kind of do that today even still, right? With our court judgments, we goes by... Yes. Precedent. But uh, this... Um, we don't have that many documents, so it's, yes. it's kind of hard. But a legal document is basically a record of a transaction between two or more parties. There are witnesses... They also record the name of the scribe and the date. Hmm. There is also, of course, the question that somebody could fake one of these documents. So to prevent that, you have a seal. Oh, yeah, right. That's what the seals are for. Yeah, but seals are expensive. So a lot of people are involved that don't own their own seal. In that case, you press your fingernail into moist clay. And then uh-huh. the witnesses say that, oh, this guy was really here, and this is his fingernail print. Uh-huh. I wonder why seals are so expensive. They seem so tiny. I bet there were like a, a seal makers that required payment. Well, I'm, <laughs> and, and yes, I'm, and, and they would have to give like a goat or a sheep because we didn't know money for a while. So this results in the legal document being a tablet. And then you could put okay. an envelope of clay around it. And a sort of brief summary of the document on that envelope. And then seal it to make it even more important. Right. Break only on, you know, if you need to, if you're not, if you, if you have to check this document, you got to break the seal. They're also mostly written in, uh, uh, in cuneiform. And we, the scholars of Cambridge suspect that there were a lot of documents in Aramaic. But they were on papyrus, and they're all gone. Yeah, yeah. So, like, cheaper legal documents were on papyrus, perhaps? So, like, what kind of legal documents? There are four types of legal documents. Okay, these are the categories. We will come back to them a lot. There are conveyances, contracts, receipts, and court documents. Okay. A conveyance is a document that... Record a transfer of property. This can include like sales documents, uh, rentals, marriages, adoptions, and inheritance, and probably some other stuff. But anything that involves the transfer of property, like real important ones. You know, that's funny. That's remind you know when you said about seals and important documents. It's like I'm not sure if you guys. I think you've said you've told me before. Like I have 
a box of documents with seals on it that it's like from my house, you know, the transfer my property, your marriage, like those kind of documents. Almost exactly like that. The sale documents are only concerning people and real estate. Yeah, like important sales, not like if you just, you know, bought a receipt, like you said, there's receipts, right? Yeah, for example, if you sell your crop or you sell a cow, then that doesn't require a legal document. Right, just a receipt of some sort, right? And here we go off the rails for the first time, because uh, if there has to be a penalty in the document for not meeting or instigating a false claim and or doing something illegal after the document is signed, the usual penalty was a heavy fine. Ah. But I have three examples of penalties that were kind of unusual in today's legal system. Alrighty. For example, if you fail to meet the requirement of this contract, you will have to present a certain number of white horses to a certain god. (laughs) White horses. That's got to be expensive. That's like, okay, you have to get 20 white horses and present them to sin, whatever that means. What? I mean, you know how expensive that would be? That'd be like I had to go get a jet or something and give it to the, the Pope. Maybe you'll have to go to Sin's temple and show him, show Sin's statue your 20 white horses. And then you can take your 20 white horses and leave. Well, maybe, but that doesn't sound much, like much of a sacrifice. You probably have to give them to the priest. It gets worse in the second oh, example. Boy. If you fail to meet the requirements, you will have to take your eldest son and burn him. Oh, my Lord. Burn your eldest son. So you better stick to the contract. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The third example is that uh, if you fail to meet the requirements that time, you would have to swallow an enormous amount of wool. my gosh i'm sorry <laughs> wow i definitely i definitely didn't expect you to say whoa <laughs> like i should have paid for the house now i have to swallow all this wool <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's worth it i don't this know <laughs> i get a free house if i eat all this wool <laughs> the clever people at cambridge think that these were mere formalities and there yeah, is it sounds like it. there's no evidence that Anybody ever had to swallow all the wool yeah. or burn his eldest son? I know, seriously. Also, if you sold uh, people uh, like a slave, there were usually like you had to guarantee that the slave wouldn't be sick for a hundred days. Ah, you have to guarantee. Yeah, you don't be giving away any slaves that have a fever or something. No, slaves with COVID. Yeah, no, you have to have a COVID test before 14 days clean before you can become a slave in Assyria. This is a sidetrack thing, but I'm really wondering what all the plagues were, what kind of disease they really were. Because we had a lot of records of plagues in Assyria, but they're really, they just mentioned there was a plague. Yeah. And then we don't know what it was. Yeah, I guess just all kinds of bacteria, plagues and flus and every other thing. I bet they were bad at social distancing and washing their yeah. hands. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't think people had a lot of certain hygienic products like we do today. Okay, back to the laws. Yeah. Uh, the first type of document was the conveyances. That was what we discussed. Now we're getting into contracts. Okay. 
Even if I use the word contract in the first section, they were conveyances. Okay. The Assyrian contract is an obligation on one party in favor of another. They mostly cover loans. So there's an amount of debt stated in kind because there are no coins. Yeah. And most of them are in amounts of silver or amounts of copper. Okay. Do you know if there was interest? Oh, yes. <laughs> there was interest. Oh, okay. There was an, uh, a lot of interest. So you better pay your loan. How did they do that? Like, how did you wonder how the interest worked? Like, you know, like if you have a pound, does it go like, you know, pound of silver? It is a percentage of the pound, I guess. I will uh, try to give you some knowledge about this very okay. shortly. Okay. So you often did not get anything for the loan or because these were usually debts you had fallen into, for example, okay. by you were unable to pay your rent or you had a crop failure. Okay. And then you sort of got a loan, but you got nothing for it. It was just a debt you had. I see. Yeah, yeah. We do the original have, debt was the loan, sort of. You got yes. whatever you needed, then you had to pay it back. So we have we have interest rates. Some of these contracts have interest rates, and they are extraordinarily high. Wow. We have recorded interest rates of more than 100% per year. Holy moly. How do you ever get out of that? But of course, that requires a lot of administration. Some of the contracts had another mechanism instead of interest okay in that case you the creditor took something from the debtor hmm. like a child or something yes <laughs> you could take people yeah. or fields or houses wow. and then you got to use this until you were paid and then you had to give them back Wow. It's probably pretty hard to make that. I remember reading Karen Radner saying it was pretty hard to make it back, I think, after you got into that kind of debt. Like, if you if you had to give them your fields, how are we going to make money, right, to pay, to get your fields back if you don't have any fields? Exactly. And by in the end, you probably end up as a debt slave. You're a slave, too, yeah. Huh? So, okay, let's be positive here and think that you could repay your loan. Okay. If you did, the contract which was a tablet, was smashed. Ah. And that was the end of it. Yeah. So then uh, the, the creditor couldn't make you pay as he didn't have the, the contract anymore. Do we know where they kept the contract? Probably somewhere safe. Yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, like, was, does the guy, do I keep the contract or is each, I wonder? It's uh, no, there's just one copy of the contract, and yeah. the creditor will smash it for you in your, in your view. Gotcha, gotcha. But of course, some people had concerns here, and that leads us into the third type of legal document: the receipt. Okay. So if you had a huge debt, then there could be a receipt. They are extremely rare, by far the oh. rarest of these three types. We have found a few. So, like, today we get a receipt when we go to the grocery store or you go to the gas station just get this little paper receipt. So it's not that kind of receipt. This is like a receipt saying that you paid off a large debt? Yes, that's I all see. the receipts are. Right. And they are rare. And the fourth type of document is also rare. And this is the actual court document. Okay. 
in that case, a dispute was actually taken to the court. Yes. There are very few court documents preserved, but they provide much more of an insight into the legal system than all the other documents. Yeah. Because this is the formal way to settle a legal dispute. Right. It's like today we have, you know, we have our, you have to go to court to decide whether who's right or wrong on something and then it makes a precedent. So similar. Same thing. The first problem is, of course, that there are no law courts and there are no courthouses in ancient Assyria. Hmm. But there are, and we talked about them in the Pyramid of Power, there are judges. Right. Where do they do their judging? Probably at the, the local court, at the court of the governor or the court of the king. Gotcha. So you made an appeal to a certain official... For example, the major, the Hasanu, hmm. or the. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Chief Justice, the Sartenu, and of course the Vizier, the Sukalu. Uh, there could be court cases which were taken before another official, for example the steward, the Abaraku could also have court cases presented to. And of course, in some cases, they would be presented to the king, but I'm not sure if we have any such examples. Okay. And when you made your appeal, this official could take the case or bring in uh, an equal. So there, there are a lot of records of two people actually giving the judgment. Oh. Do we have any records of lawyers? There are absolutely no lawyers. Wow. So you have to be your own lawyer before these officials. Wow. That's interesting. I, I, I like that already. <laughs> so they, they make a decision or the, the single or the double official make a, a decision. But in some cases, uh, I hope they hear the other party, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. But they they could be... They could be undecided on the matter. They could be like, I'm not sure you're right here, but I'm not sure you're wrong either. <laughs> And that was not the good position to be in. Because then they would have to invoke another legal mechanism. Oh, I'm afraid. The ordeal. I knew it had to be something. <laughs> We are not entirely sure what this is. But we Put know a little. Water, see if she floats like on a mighty python. I always have to have a mighty python, right? Right? The witch, remember? Put her in water. See if she floats. 
It she has quote, quite, she's a witch. It has quite a few similarities <laughs> to this. Uh, the ordeal involves a god. So you probably go to temple and stand before a statue of a god. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Then you make your case orally before the god. Okay. And then the ultimate verdict will be pronounced by the god. Oh, lordy. We have no idea how this happened. Ventriloquist is our god says. <laughs> our god says, give me all the money. <laughs> we don't know how this happened, but it seems to have worked. Yeah. What happens with complaints? You know what happens with complaints? You get, lose a finger, so. Of course, the, the decision of a god is final, so you cannot, <laughs> you cannot overturn the repeal. Well, I guess uh, unless you have a different I mean. god. Yeah, well, the goddess, you know. Well, that worked, I guess. Of course, this also uh, raises the question about the king. Because he seems to be a good person to put this before instead of a god. But we have no records of a god, uh, of a king, making a judgment on any case. On any case at all or any case that was in, like, you know, limbo like that? No, on any case, I think. Oh, wow. Which is weird because we have a lot of records of people talking directly to the king in other matters, in other administrative matters. So people had sort of the right to address the king if it was important enough, but we have no record of a legal case being brought before the king. Like King Solomon, he had took the, you remember, he had the woman and he said he would cut the baby in half. That was his judgment. And then they said, oh, I'll take the baby. And that's how he knew it was the woman, that was the other woman's baby. Exactly. Yeah. He was wise, but I'm not sure this is wise. Yeah. There are, in the legal documents, in the court documents we have, this process is recorded. We don't know how the thing with the God worked, but they do record the ordeal. And the judgment of the god. Hmm. That is so interesting. And the usual verdict from an official or from a god was uh, a fine. A payment. That's good. Well, if you don't have the money, then you have to go into debt slavery. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that works out, though. I mean, hey, that's better than the law of the, like, you know, the woods. You know, I'm not the woods, you know, the jungle, so to speak. This is... It's not even that much different today, like you say. I mean, we don't have the ordeal of the gods, but it's still people just making judgments, right? On precedent and law. <laughs> yeah. There is a, a huge difference from Babylonia, where we also have legal documents. Because really? in Babylonia, you could be sentenced to pay a certain amount over a period of time, over quite a long period of time. But this doesn't happen in Assyria. In Assyria, you pay almost immediately. Wow. That's interesting to know. It's, they're so similar, but that's a different... Hmm. And uh, Cambridge uh, Ancient History speculates that this is because the Assyrian Empire was much more stable politically. Because they were more stable, they made you pay immediately? Yes, maybe that's just the reason they were more stable. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe that's the reason they... they're more stable. It seemed like, yeah, if you're... Yeah, maybe they had the power to say that too, you know? Like, you're paying it now. Okay, do you miss something in this system? Now we have talked about uh, financial matters. All of this was financial matters. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's about other things? Yeah, like, you know, murders and that kind of stuff. Criminal. Yes. The state did not particularly care about violent crime, which was rare in Assyria. Well, it's because they didn't have any laws against it. Imagine we just murder. Uh, there were laws, probably. Oh, okay. There were laws in the Middle Assyrian Empire, but it was up to you to enforce the law. Huh. So you would have to make use of violence to make yeah. the, the criminal subject to the law. And this, of course, resulted in vendettas. Right. Right. There are prisons in Assyria. Hmm. But all the recorded prisoners are political. Ah. So prison doesn't seem to, seem to be a punishment enforced by the justice system at all. Could have been like, like the Hammurabi systems, you know, eye for an eye, to, you know, you steal a cut off your hand, that kind of thing. Yes, that was Hammurabi's style of justice. And that is, of course, sheep. And then it's done. And you don't have to pay for keeping someone in a prison. Right. So wait, you're basically kind of saying like, so if I robbed you and, there, and I, it was my responsibility to catch you, I guess, and then bring you to the law or just, um, you know, give the whatever the punishment was for stealing, if it was cutting off your hand, then I'm cut off your hand. I'm supposed to cut off your hand, probably. Probably. Huh. You could also uh, detain a criminal yourself. You could keep someone imprisoned. If, huh. for example, you, you were supposed to get a heavy fine for the violent crime and this person wasn't paying, then you could keep him your prisoner until somebody else paid for him. Crazy, though. You just wonder, like, what's the oversight, you know? Like a gang of, like, organized criminals would just say, well, yeah, this guy, uh, you know, he robbed my uh, yard, so I'm going to take keep him and make him a slave or whatever. But It is easy to laugh at the system, but remember that it worked for an enormous amount of time. Absolutely. And it changed very little during the, uh, the Neo-Syrian Empire. Yeah. Like we said, it's it's better. It's like you know, lions don't have any laws like that. They just do whatever they do. And it was also almost immune to foreign influence. It was also immune to the growth of the empire. The system grew with the empire, and huh. it kept working. Yeah. I mean, you don't have any protests and things like that saying, you know, hey, we need more welfare or whatever. We need more. Safety nets, and we need uh, roads and stuff, right? And it wasn't any of that, so... But you kept law and order, basically. So I, I think that for this system to work, people must have been quite law-abiding. But in the end, if you thought that these laws were given to you by the gods, maybe people were more law-abiding, naturally. Yeah. I guess, you know, probably went in, in waves of, you know, depending on how well things were. If people were poor and broke and they had no house and, you know, they were wandering the streets, they would commit a robbery. You know, you want, but you don't hear about wandering gangs of, of um, you know, bandits and things like this in the Near East, right? I, I can't recall any. Oh, if you don't count the Arameans. Well, I was thinking that, but so they're just, but they're like a people. They're not like a bunch of people that just become bandits, right? Uh, in the beginning of the era we cover in the podcast, they were roaming around a lot, but they were in the countryside and nobody could control them. But in the end, the Assyrians did control them. Yes. 
I mean, they weren't like Assyrians that just went on hard luck and then just went on the road as bandits. Like, you always, I mean, I didn't study a lot of Chinese history, but I, I did have a little time where I did. And I remember, like, in different periods, there'd always be these periods of banditry where all these roving bandits just seemed to, like, control everything for a while. It seems you know? to be a natural state of society that we go into warlord mode. Yeah. But this doesn't happen in Assyria. And no. even when society breaks down, like at the end of Shalmaneser III's life, yeah. people just return to this system as soon as there is any semblance of stability. Yeah, that's so really interesting. I think that is, a, that is one, when people wonder why were the Assyrians, why did they start this empire? Like how, how were they able to start this empire that's really the first true empire and this is a big reason why this organization of this legal system the whole organization really and i think after doing these life in a series episodes that part of the success of the empire was that everybody was doing their part everybody was generally abiding by the laws they were obeying the king and they were good assyrians yeah and, and as Karen Radner says, there's a benefit to empire. I mean, there is a benefit, especially if you live in the city. And like we said before, you could have been moved to there two or three generations prior. You're not a, you know, ethnic Assyrian, so to speak. And, you know, you just sort of become a part of the culture. And you follow the laws and it works for you because, you, you know, you, you sleep in a decent house, I guess, and you, and you eat good food and you're part of this empire and... Well, you know, it's got its benefits. In other words, it's not, we look back on it, I think it's oppressive or that kind of thing, but it absolutely, you know, having that order, you didn't just have the law of the jungle. Yeah, and in, in my part of the world, we were, like uh, Radar said, we were hiding close to the waterways in single houses. <laughs> yeah. There was almost no civilization at all. Right, and not this kind of a, right. And you wouldn't see them organizing a group and then, you know, taking over another territory and putting their laws in. Or say 50,000 guys in iron armor walking right. around. Right, organized marching in a certain way. Then they bring their artists with them too to draw the picture of it. <laughs> yeah, you know you're in trouble then. Uh, that's about uh, what we know about the legal system. Well, that was really fascinating, I think. I, th I really feel, and you said it, Right on when you said doing these life in Assyria makes you realize how, how, how it did happen like that. I mean, how they created this empire because of their organization. I mean, like we said before, it was sort of like a business structure. And they really, you know, when you set the scaffolding, you could scale, as they say in business terms, right? You could scale up, have a little, maybe like a, um, you know, a king, one of your, <laughs> oh, vassal kings. They're sort of like franchises, you know? <laughs> Very true. Right, you don't like they're not like a company-owned store. They're a franchise, but they have to pay in, and they're part of the franchise. And then you have your company stores. It's very, very similar, I think. I think we're gonna have to look into trade and the economy in a separate uh, episode, because I've said from day one that the Assyrians were warriors and traders. So we have yes. to look at the economy. But before we do that, we have to look at something that is even more important to the Assyrians than war or trade. And what is that? I believe I know, but you tell me. Religion. Religion. But we're going to do that in the next episode. Yes, the will of Asher. Yes, yes. 
All right, so, so is, he, is he one god or a thousand gods or ten thousand gods? It's both. It's all of the all of the above. It's all of the above. <laughs> it's everything. Whenever all it comes to religion, Asher. everything goes to Asher apparently. But it's more complicated than that. So yeah, let's get into it. For sure. The next time. Yes. Everybody, um, if you guys have been checking out the Facebook page, I've been trying to keep it more active. Facebook has a business uh, for the for our pages. I could use my phone better, so I've been trying to keep keep active on there. Post some interesting links of history articles that I I read many 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 of them, and the most interesting ones I I've been trying to post. So you know, check that out. I've been getting more responses from the listeners. I think that's awesome. I appreciate that. So keep that up, and uh, we'll see you again next. Oh, don't forget our Patreon page, right? Yeah, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. That is what keeps us going. So patreon.com, fan of history. Whenever we make an episode, you pay us. If we don't make episodes, you don't pay us. What a good deal. See you next time, Bernie. See you next time, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.